be able to. Hey guys, and welcome to the Garage Athlete Show. We are on episode 74. Those have flown by. Um, and we're joined today by Daniel Frazier and Stephen and R- Rinaldi. I don't want to butcher your name, mate. That's it. Um, So we've known Steen for quite a while. He's been a big part of the Home Gym UK group for pretty much since it came about, I think. Um, So he's very, very active in there. Happy to kind of like answer questions, et cetera, for the community. So we thought we would get him, finally get him on, have a chat through kind of like primal strength, their growth, like the story behind them. I think we find that people quite enjoyed to learn about um the people behind these companies like a lot of these companies are just they're just a brand but when you can actually get to know the people that are like behind it and the story and how they came about i think it's uh it builds them a little bit so steve why don't you introduce yourselves i know a lot of guys in the group will already know like who you are but introduce yourself kind of like your background and how how you came about being the owner of of primal strength yeah sure so Thanks for having me on, guys. Um, I started my fitness journey in late 90s, which makes me sound very old. Um, <laughs> I was quite a young guy. So uh, 2000, and I won the BMBF, like Junior Mr. Britain, the natural bodybuilding. Um, I was a rugby player before that. Left school quite young. Um, college that I went to for sports science didn't have a rugby team. Um, so I just got into lifting weights. Um so yeah, I started back competing in 2000, uh, joined a fitness company in sort of 2002, really focusing on sports nutrition and a little bit of uh, cardio and strength kit. Um, worked for them for a number of years. Uh, 2007, I then joined Johnson Health Tech, um, which most people in the group will have trained in a, in a pure gym or gym group. So Johnson Health Tech are the company behind Matrix Fitness. So... Worked for those guys for two or three years. I was doing the um, retail side. So all the own label for John Lewis and, and different brands like that. Um, 2010, I'd sort of spent three years on the road with GHT. My wife was in Glasgow. We weren't really seeing each other a huge amount. Um, so I got asked to go back to the, the fitness company I'd originally started with. Um, so I joined them as a director 2010 built up that business um, pretty aggressively over the sort of 2010 to 2015 sort of time over five years. Um, and the, the two main owners sold the business um, at the end of 2015. And um, they sold it to a big German retailer. Um, and that also included the sports nutrition brand that I had with the owners. Um, so yeah, we all exited. And 2016, I started a gym with a couple of my friends and the other big thing I did was launch Primal Strength. Um, so we launched with about 100, 120 SKUs, something like that. Um, I designed them all from bedroom in my house at a third-party logistics company down in Hull, where we imported the containers and they did the dispatches. And I, you know, I was out in the road selling the kit, designing the gyms, installing the gyms. Um, so that sort of took me to the launch of Primal Strength. And then over the last six years, it's, yeah, sort of grown into being the, probably the biggest sort of strength company or strength company that does actual gyms in the UK. Um, 
you know, last year we, I think we did just over 12 and a half million and our financial year this year finishes in April and we'll be just over 15. So it's really grown some money. Yeah. Yeah. But um, my first question to you is going to be like, how involved in the design process, like were you at the start? And it, it sounds like it was just you. Yeah. So literally it's one of those stories where, as you said, you, you started out with a computer in your bedroom and you were doing everything and from there, six years later, you've now got... So how many people are in your team now? Uh, we've got just over 30. Okay. Um, we're still relatively lean. Um, you know, we all we all put a shift in every day and, you know, um, but that, you know, that our staff are, are everywhere. So one of my main designers is, is based in, in China um, and he does all the, the CAD work. So I've got a, a very skewed working week in terms of, sort of 5, 6 a.m. starts to, to work with him for a few hours before his day finishes. Um, but yeah, no, right at the start, um, obviously with the previous business, I'd been in Taiwan a lot, in China a lot, uh, around most of the factories. Um, the previous company was, you know, it was turning over over 20 million, so it had a very good buying experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd also, at GHD, been involved in a lot of the product development for, for retailers. So, you know, I'd been involved in that side of the business for a long time before I took the plunge to do it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't like I just, you know, decided, right, I'm going to take a small loan from the bank and launch Primal. You know, we, we'd been relatively successful in the previous company. So we had a good, you know, I had a good foundation. Um, what I didn't have at the start, which I wish I knew then what I know now in terms of building a team and trusting a team to grow your business. Um, but the first person I brought in was actually my sister. So she'd been in sales um, for a, a fitness company for about a decade, something like that. That's handy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, you know, she she um, she'd been there, done that, ran a really strong tele sales team, um, knew how to motivate people. It was just you know a good egg. Um, but she was earning a lot of money. So I was like, right, how do I get my sister into the business when it's a startup and, you know, there's no guarantees and she'd been in a job for a decade, but I managed to get her involved. Um, and a business partner who's no longer involved at the start, um, who knew quite a lot about uh, marketing and, and branding here, a big sports nutrition company. Um, so, you know, it wasn't purely just myself and my sister sat in a bedroom. It was, you know, we, we had a, a decent strategy behind it. Um, yeah. and we had some good connections but yeah to go back to the kit point I basically looked at the market and felt the American brands were doing some good stuff the UK brands weren't and, and Europe is generally a little bit behind the curve on on the American scene of the UK scene so you know I, I went to some of the manufacturers I knew um, and then just started to tweak the racks and improve them um, again you know whether it's things like our power bags, you know, we eventually ended up making them out of Kevlar. So they were bomb proof and they would just never, never break, you know? So everything's just been development, development, development. We really don't take anything off the shelf. Um, but yeah, first product we launched successfully was our, um, was our half rack, which has now became sort of our, our halo product. We're on, we're just about to launch version four at FIBO. Um, so, you know, there's been a lot of cost. So the German one. Yeah, yeah, big yeah. German show. Oh, that's uh, good. Yeah, I just know it's been closed the last couple of years, so it's good to hear. Yeah, it's been it's been closed the last couple of years, and and you know we've we've taken a, a big big plunge. We've got a two hundred square meter 
stand at the front of Hall oh, Seven. Wow. Um, yeah, so we're launching um, we're launching eight new plate loaded products. We're launching five new selectorized products, and we're launching two new racks. Um, but but you know, for, for me, as everybody copies and, and catches up with your product, or you know, maybe doesn't catch up, but has a, a more cost efficient version of your product because it's maybe not quite as well specced. Um, we are, you know, 12 months before that, we we're already planning for how do we improve and how do we, you know, make the, make the product better. Um, I mean, the new version, the cable system we put on it, it's pretty special. Um, it's probably the first rack where you could truly do cable crossovers on the top cables um, in a, you know, in, in what is a standard size rack. So working pretty hard on that. And when I say we, you know, Gavin's been doing a lot of time on it, Ryan, and China's been spending a lot of time on it. Um, well, we've had the samples for months on end. It's just a case of getting them into full production. And and say logistics at the moment must be a bit of a nightmare. <laughs> it's it's the biggest challenge um, in our industry just now for anybody that doesn't manufacture in the UK. And to be honest, guys, even the guys that do manufacture in the UK generally bring their components in from Asia. So, you know, everyone's feeling the, everyone's feeling that. Um, and some have handled it really, really well, you know, not taking any pre-orders, only selling when it's in stock. And then I think everybody realized we're going to have to do a little bit of pre-selling or, you know, too many things are going to be marked out of stock for too long. And not everybody's buying a, a rack that wants it delivered in the following week. So, you know, we, we've managed it as best as we can. I think we've done pretty well we've managed to protect the business in terms of our reviews and looking after customers but yeah delays have been delays have been a a challenge um and it's been one of the tough parts not been able for me to get to factories and work with you know work with the factories on the product design everything's been remote so have you been out since uh oh no i guess restrictions are coming back in china a little bit more again aren't they yes china's back in a two-week lockdown they went back into lockdown in a lot of the major cities on Monday. Um, so that's been pretty tough. But no, the last time I was out was November 2019. And um, I got super ill when I came back. And I don't know, genuinely don't know if I had COVID when I came back. But um, yeah, came back, was really ill. Um, had booked again for the March. And obviously everyone was in lockdown by the, I think, early March. So I never got to go back out. Yeah. Um, and this year at FIBO will be the first year the show goes ahead without any of the Asian manufacturers um, having stands there. Some of their European counterparts do, but most of the big factories aren't at, um, at FIBO this year. No, it gives you a bigger opportunity there, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, look, you know, for me, FIBO is really about taking primal more into the international scene. We've got a couple of really, really strong international distributors, but it's something that we've mainly just focused on the UK scene. Yeah. And we do very well in Ireland as well. I should add that in, but um, this is the first year where we're going out with a real, you know, meetings are lined up with a lot of the big international distributors. So oh, exciting times. So what do you think sets Primal apart? So as you said, like the Americans have kind of got their own thing going on over there and they seem to almost like set the standard and then the UK scene as you said 10 years ago or something just wasn't quite up to par and yeah. then Europe's just a little bit behind us so like 
what do you do to that you think like sets you apart and makes primal one of those like go-to brands that people aspire to kind of you're not gonna just like be able to pick up a budget setup from primal like yeah. you you the stuff that comes from you guys is very very kind of good quality and it's what if you make an investment into a home gym that's kind of like what the, the top end one like where you want to get to so what do you think kind of sets you guys apart from the rest of the industry yeah i mean it's exactly what you said there so you know fitness and strength equipment now has become aspirational and you know we always set out to create an aspirational strength brand you know we wanted to be on point with not only the the equipment but the marketing side um you know we are one of the only companies and i genuinely mean this and it's maybe not as appropriate in, in this in terms of you know our group our home gym group right because that's that's purely focused on home gyms but you know we're one of the only companies in the uk that you can come to that will design your facility you know everything from flooring through mirrors through zoning you know uh what's the latest trends we'll then work with you on you know how are you targeting how are you targeting your target demographic how are you speaking to them what's the messaging so that full turnkey solution and a true full turnkey solution you know you're not coming to primal and buying you know your crossfit rig and then having to buy hammer strength plate load you know you you can truly come to primal and get absolutely everything for your for your strength and your functional space and um, and even now we're starting to go a little bit more into the hip cardio um just again the markets move slightly and we've seen the opportunity there but yeah i mean what, what sets us apart for me is the not only the full turnkey but the innovation you know we're always innovating and improving um i remember you know sitting with gavin and he's talking about hip thrust bar and i'm like gav everybody just rolls a you know they just roll the bar up their legs and he's like yeah yeah but you've got to remember where that product comes from you know if you've got a rugby player 240 kilos in a bar him twisting to get into position you know, it's just not the safest thing to do. Um, you know, so Gav developed the hip thrust bar. Um, we launched that. It goes absolutely crazy. Pretty much 95% of the people that bought it were females training their glutes, you know. So that, so that performance solution was there. We, we work with it, design it, and make it for the performance space. But actually, it comes into real life training. And, you know, um, strength training has become a hell of a lot more inclusive over the last couple of years. You know, there's so many more deconditioned people coming into strength because they understand now that, you know, weight training and even just body weight training um, will improve their will improve their life. Um, so, yeah, looking at the performance side, especially from the States, you know, I'm out there quite a bit. I look at a lot of the, uh, you know, and I don't just mean rogue. I mean, you know, when, when you look deep into some of the American brands and some of the innovation that's going on there, um, you look at the collegiate level. In, in terms of the universities and their setups and some of the stuff that, you know, Soranex are doing, uh, some of the plate loaded manufacturers over there. Um, they really, you know, it, it, it's, it's an amazing country for development of, of strength products. And then we look at that and say, okay, does it fit in the UK market? Do we need to alter it for the sizing of the UK people? You know, we are a slightly smaller nation and, and so are a, a lot of the, you know, the, French and Italians, main, mainland Europeans. Um, so we look at that and how the biomechanics work um, and we just try not to copy. So we, we definitely take some inspiration, but we don't just want to say, okay, you know, X company make this and we're just going to copy it. 
Um, whereas I think, especially with a lot of the sort of Alibaba pop-up brands over the last 12, 18 months, you know, somebody's literally gone on Alibaba and said, right, I'm going to put my name on those hex dumbbells, that bench, that product, and try and launch a strength brand. You know, that's just never been primal. It's always been product first and then, you know, and then working out the price. And as we've grown now, we've been able to be a lot more aggressively priced on the commodity stuff, um, which is great because it means, we, you know, we bring ourselves back in line with maybe some of the, the premium home brands, but we are able to offer the commercial quality. But um, yeah, it was always just that innovation piece um, and then just always improving, right? Like, I think if, if you think about it from an athlete point of view, you know, the perfection's pretty much impossible, right? So you compete and you do, you do natural bodybuilding, right? You'll, you'll be able to take your physique naturally to a level, but you know, it's not, you know, you, there's always going to be that boundary. So ultimately it's about those small one pound, you know, half kilo improvements, or working on a weak body part, we're doing the exact same, just on equipment, you know? So something that's that's maybe gone into the market and people have fed back and said, look, I actually don't love that product. We've ripped it apart and, you know, we work on it and try and improve it. And I think that's one of the big differences between a company like Primal and, and some of the other uh, more vanilla or more traditional strength brands out there. Could you give us an example of where that, that's happened? Because that's really interesting, uh, especially from a consumer point of view. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, not to just go on about our racks, but if you look at, if you, I won't mention any companies' names, but if you look at what was on the market six, seven years ago in the UK for racks, it was flat J hooks. They weren't J hooks; they were just flat, you know, metal. Uh, there wasn't a lot of spacing. There wasn't a lot of storage integration. Their pull-up options were pretty much an angled bar, and that was it. Um, the quality of the rack in terms of, you know, if somebody did fail a big lift, um, generally wasn't there. And people just viewed it as, well, it's just a power rack. And actually the market, especially the commercial market, you know, 10 years ago, it was very much, well, we'll put in 80% cardio, put a rack in a corner and a set of dumbbells. We don't want tons of big guys in our gyms. Um, you know, whereas if you look at even the sort of, more low cost chains now. They're putting in 20, 30 benches. They're putting in 10 power racks. Um, so, so for me to continue to grow primal strength in the right way, it's about innovating and making sure when we say our top rack is best in class that it truly is. Um, and that takes constant feedback. That takes constant growing of the brand and working with our designers. Um, again, things like you know barbells, um, we all, probably everybody in our industry looked at the ceramic coating and thought it's a really cool way to make a barbell and make it look really nice. Ultimately, ceramic coating scratches and can get damaged. So then we looked and said, okay, what's the next way to improve that product? And we went with a harder Teflon coating. And touch wood, the testing we've had now, so it's been in the market six, seven months, it appears to be a lot harder wearing than the ceramic coating. So again, it's just that little bit of looking at the product and saying, okay, this is a really good idea. You know, it gives people personalized barbells or they can tie their barbells into the color of their gyms. And, and you know, how many different color home gyms do we see in the group? You know, there's some really fantastic spaces there is. Well, you know, whether it's Mirafit Orange, 
you know, whether somebody's done a black and red, whether somebody's got a primal green rack, you know, there's a lot of different colors out there. But um, again, on that product, we looked at it, you know, we've sold thousands and thousands of those bars. And whilst there's never an issue with the actual barbell, the bearings, everything like that's always perfect, the wear on the coating. Um, we've seen it a lot more in um, commercial gyms coming out of COVID, where the bar has been black chrome or black ionized. The alcohol sprays in the gym, you know, eventually wear that away. And, and sometimes they patina and it looks quite nice. Other times you get surface rust. So if that's not maintained, you end up with a product that doesn't look as good. So, you know, early, so early June, 2020, we went out and started working really hard on our stainless bars because we knew commercial gyms, that's the only way, you know, the bars are gonna last the, the test of time in terms of the alcohol sprays. So again, it's just, you know, it's, it's just always looking at what's the next challenge, what's the, what's the next opportunity and, and, and working through it that way. Yeah, such a, <clears throat> you just would have thought, you know, I've been training in gyms now for a while, probably as long as I but either of you guys have, but it was never, would have crossed my mind that you'd have to build a barbell to deal with sanitizing spray, like, you know, I, I can't That's... think of a single time a bar was sprayed when I was a kid, uh, pre-COVID, <laughs> so now, yeah, it's it's a massive reflection on what's happened. Yeah, I, mean, I think like... it's interesting what you say about, about the changes that have happened in, and like, because I've trained in probably three different gyms now <clears throat> since COVID, just because I didn't like the first two, and it's even simple things like the gyms are now having to say to people like don't spray the alcohol spray like directly onto the machines because it's causing the the machines weren't coated to deal with that so it's causing the machines to rust because people are spraying the alcohol sprays getting onto the metal and that that metal's not treated whereas the the metal for the handles and stuff tends to be stainless steel to deal with it so yeah, there's there's lots of changes that have happened in and around gyms just because well the whole world's changed over this last like two to three years sort of thing and it and as you said it's it's then down to the manufacturers to go well how how do we deal with this problem and and like you said Steve like it's going to be going out getting feedback and, and making adjustments yeah and honestly like so even if you think about you you take any machine that's in a commercial gym and whether it's got a gloss finish on it or a matte finish, where that spray gets sprayed eventually runs down and settles in a point. Generally, it's a weld point in the bottom of the machine. You know, so eventually, constant alcohol sprays and, you know, I went into a gym last week and they had Dettol sprays. I'm like, guys, you can't use Dettol sprays on kit. Like, that's not designed for, you know, imagine pouring, like, alcohol or bleach sprays on kit constantly um so yeah everybody's had that challenge um i was in one of the one of the larger chains and they'd had a site for seven years without it wasn't a, it wasn't a primal site we were just in speaking to the speaking to the gm and uh you know a big brand really and a really great brand as well and and i was saying so how's the the kit been affected and they were like, oh come let me show you this and they were showing me bits where like even the chroming had actually finally come off, you know? And that kit for seven years was perfect. And and now just in, in 18 months, 24 months, it's it's came to the end of its shelf life. So yeah, there's been a, there's been a few challenges like that. Um, again, I think generally most of the, the brands have managed to, to survive it and get through it. Um, we, we still have a challenge with, you know, and again, it's probably quite an appropriate point for the group, you know, 
the the garages that are cold and not heated. Um, I remember at my previous company on the cardio side, whereas it would just it would rot a motor on a treadmill, you know, because you've got that moisture in the air, you've got the sweat getting into the motor of the treadmill. Even with the treadmill guard, you know, you're sweating in that running belt is taking the water into the into the motor, um, you know, and, and just trying to get people to. You know, they're investing sometimes thousands and thousands or tens of thousands even of pounds into their kit and they put it in a double garage that's got, you know, a centimetre gap at the front of the garage and cold air is blowing in and, you know, then they're, you know, they're training solidly for an hour, hour and a half and they're sweating all over the kit. So, yeah, what I try and do in the group is, is be as balanced as possible, but try and give a bit of advice as well rather than, you know, I'm not there to sell kit, you know, like we... we of course, I would love people to buy the kit, but like we, we've got our marketing schedules well in advance and we've got our route to market. And, you know, it, I, I do try and genuinely get involved and help people. And um, yeah, it's 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 been an interesting time with the with the cleaning stuff and the, so many people starting garage gyms without insulating their garage. <laughs> so I think the most amount of money I've spent on equipment is my garage door. And it's, it's insane. Like the difference, I think I, I managed 12 degrees, even in where it's like minus one outside. It's just like, it's completely blown me away. The difference. If you've got the budget, I, I highly recommend getting that but, um, room insulated. I appreciate it's a big cost, but God, the difference is insane. But I mean, like, yeah, you say, I know a lot of your companies still, you know, for example, a local gym down me just fully, a brand new, fully kitted out with all your stuff and it looks fantastic. But I mean, like how much of, has a percentage of what was your business of like home gym, like bear in mind we're a home gym podcast, has that, has that grown quite a lot over the last couple of years or is it steadied out? Or like how much of that of your business is for home gym users? It's really interesting. So we massively changed. So we were 80% commercial, um, at the height of the, the pandemic, we were about 60, 40. So about 60 commercial, 40% home. We were very, very lucky that, you know, we, we, we do, well, last year we did five, 600 gyms. We're, we're on track to do a lot more than that this year. But um, we were very lucky during the pandemic that a lot of the independent gyms got support from their members. So they still had income coming in. And what a lot of the independent gyms did was they reinvested in the gym. So we managed as a, as a fitness business, as a strength business to maintain a lot of the commercial activity. Um, but even then, yeah, about it switched from 80, 20 to about 60, 40. We're now seeing post pandemic, the, the commercial side going absolutely crazy. You know, the, the, the appetites back for the, you know, for the, for the commercial gyms. Um, the other spike we're seeing, which is quite nice is I think a lot of guys and girls bought, anything they could during lockdown for their home gym and the ones that really train now haven't have looked and gone okay i'm going to invest in this properly so so we're now getting a lot of people that maybe bought i wouldn't name a brand but like, let's say they bought an entry-level brand you know they bought a, a bench some dumbbells barbells and maybe a home you know squat stands or something like that you know they spent 500 quid um, but they've really used it and really loved it we've got those people who are now coming back to us and going look during lockdown, I have this set up. Can you design my garage for me? And they're spending some serious money. Um, but they know that that's an investment now for their gym for life at home. Um, so so, we, so we're, we're back fully commercial. Um, but it's not, it, I would say the split's probably now 70-30. You know, so it's not gone back to 80-20. It's probably, um, 
maintained the consumer side. We've also launched a few more consumer-based products, um, which is something that I think will continue to grow as long as we can keep making them at a good enough quality and still hit a fair price point. You know, we'll we'll um, we'll continue to to grow on the consumer side. Um, the challenge with that, the real challenge with that, is the cost of containers at the moment. Um, you know, before when a container was twelve hundred and fifty quid, and you would get, you know, two hundred racks in it. Now that container is eleven thousand dollars. You're still only getting two hundred racks in it. So your price point then becomes more expensive for the for the consumer side. You know, you can take a little bit more of a hit on the commercial because generally there's a little bit more margin in the racks. But um, yeah, it's uh, it, it was very good for for the home market and. The home market's still strong, so we're good. Oh, that's interesting, man. Right, moving on. So what do you think your two biggest challenges you've had to overcome as a business owner? So as you said, you worked, you've worked in other businesses before. I think you were a, you said you were a director of one, and then this is the, is this the first time you've gone all in on your own back? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, probably the, biggest biggest challenge i had as we scaled was bringing in staff and delegating out some of the big roles um and i still have a little bit of even now with 30 staff and some of the top people in the industry you know as part of our team and we've got five of our team of equity in our business now so we've really really built the best into the business um just delegating out and and having that you know realization that if i don't delegate out if we don't build a team if we don't have a you know a head of sales or performance marketing or any of these people into our business we'll never grow and, and fulfill where primal could be so that was probably the toughest bit we had a year two to three was probably our slowest growth year um and that was the year where i had to change and, and, and you know bring in some some key people to grow the business um and then I think I touched on it earlier on, but the toughest part for me is not being able to go to Asia recently. Um, you know, I... The difference in being in the factory, manufacturing on the floor, um, testing, you know, giving feedback instantaneously, getting that changed, and then, you know, before the end of the week, before you leave the factory, you've got your, your new product finished, and that can go into production. Um, so, you know, that trip I went on 2019, I took Gavin out, him and I spent, I think about 10 days across four or five different factories. You know, we were given instant feedback, you know, Gav's given it from a coaching point of view. I'm giving it from a, a sort of biomechanics, a feel, you know, uh, and, and just really that touch and play part, um, to not have been able to do that, to have to do everything remotely. Um, and I won't launch a product if I've not seen it. So as I say, these products were launching at FIBO. They should have launched last year, but we just weren't happy with the, the final products that came in. Um, so that's really slowed down our product development. Um, and we're, again, we're one of the only companies that doesn't use sourcing houses. So we buy directly from the factory. So, you know, if you imagine the sourcing houses going to the factory, they're seeing, let's say a primal innovation and they're going back to the, to the customer and saying, oh, have you seen this? Do you want that? And, and that company might go, yeah, I'll take 100 of them. 
when you're actually in the factory doing the, you know, doing the development bit, um, not being able to do that for the last couple of years has been so hard. Um, and unfortunately, it doesn't look like, you know, even this year is going to be the year that we get back over there. Um, and we've actually now started to do a little bit more UK manufacturing just for those reasons. So, yeah, that's probably the two challenges, but the delegating one was definitely was my hardest one. I think that's for anybody who does own a business and wants to grow it above a certain size. I think for a lot of people, like especially if you're a type A personality, like you always know that you, in your mind, you can do it best because it's your baby and it's your business. But as you said, learning to let go, put the right people in the right places and hand over some of that responsibility. Like I know that's something that I really, really struggle with um just because whenever i've had maybe it's i'm just not very good at telling people how i want it done um but yeah i've heard from a lot of business owners that that learning to delegate and learning to recruit is probably the hardest the hardest kind of thing to do so um so i think you you sponsor some athletes at the moment don't you so well what what athletes do you sponsor yeah so we're working with I'm working with a few different ones. So Celtic approached us, and I know they're not athletes, but, you know, as, as a football club, they approached us about four seasons ago to get involved with, with their S&C. And, you know, we've, we've fitted out three different sites for them now. Um, but we started working with, like, Zach George. So, you know, Zach's by far and away, certainly in my opinion, but, you know, in results as well, the best crossfitter in the UK. Um you know, and I wanted to learn more about the sport. I wanted to learn more about the kit, the rig design. Um, it was when we launched CrossFit wasn't my focus, um, and I, I felt like you know we make these amazing racks, but we hadn't fully got into rigs. So, you know, working with Zach, for example, and designing the rig for his facility, we've now put two rigs in there. But um, it's opened my eyes up to a lot of you know a, a lot of that CrossFit world. Um, Sarah Holden, another amazing athlete, Sarah's. A female online PT, um, and she's just absolutely killing it. She's just, you know, she's getting amazing results for her clients. Um, she also full hybrid training, um, and just gives us great feedback. So yeah, we've, we've worked with Sarah, Zach, um, bit of kit into Graham Hicks recently. Uh, Strongman, him and his his good lady are are building a gym there. So working with those guys on some bars and and dumbbells and stuff like that. Um, custom leg press coming for them. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of those ones we've also worked with a couple of like coaches and influencers as well. So Adam Collard, um, Adam owns Sculpt Gym in Newcastle. Um, he's probably most famous for Love Island, but, you know, again, really good coach, really good facility. We're working with him to design his new space. Um, so, yeah, a, a mixed a mixed bag, um, a lot of bodybuilding gyms. Um, it's, it's, athletes is a tough one coming from a sports nutrition background where I never wanted to have the athlete promote the kit like the way some of the athletes promote sports nutrition. And I think you get what I mean, which is if an athlete's paid enough, they'll promote the brand. You know, so I've seen a lot of top MMA guys, because we used to work with a lot of MMA guys in, in sports nutrition, you know, use our product and then go out and promote one of the big American brands because they were getting paid six figures. So when I started the business and I never really wanted to have 
athletes per se, like Phil Lerney, for example, who very good friend of mine, and he's known as the PT coach on Instagram. Phil, you know, works with a ton of coaches. Um, I didn't get Phil involved as an athlete. I got Phil involved for his, you know, his understanding of kit and, and where we can improve the product and, and work in the industry. So whilst we kitted out Phil's gym free of charge because all of the, the help and support he's given us, um, I wouldn't class him as an athlete, but I would class him as somebody that's of influence that we would work with, but because they've got a skill set to bring to us to improve our brand. Um, so yeah, it'll be an interesting time. We're working with a new company on our on our branding and our marketing. We're just about to do a little bit of a, a brand relaunch, to be honest. Um, just new logos and and some new strategy stuff. Um, and one of the sort of bits of feedback was we should definitely look at a lot more athletes. Um, but yeah, it's got to be the right ones. You know, there's athletes just now out there that are sponsored by other brands that are using our kit. So you know, you've got to be very very careful. Um, yeah. So yeah, but yeah, we, I mean Zach and Sarah, as I say, Celtic, um, Adam, you know, guys and girls like that have been amazing for us. Perfect. So, what do you think? You've already kind of covered this briefly, anyway. But what do you think the future holds for Primal? I know you guys, as you said, you want to grow, go into more of an international market. So, like, where where do you see the business in like the next five years? Like, what's What's the dream outcome for you? Yeah, for me, big focus on kit. So, you know, making sure every product is, is as good as our top products. Um, definitely that international expansion. You know, we've got some we've got some cracking distributors buying FOB just now, but we really want to put that primal stamp in mm. a lot of countries across the globe. Um, yeah, just number one for strength. You know, it's it's a big statement, but you know, you've got to have some you've got to have some ambitions. Um we sold half the business last year to really good, strong private equity company that had a lot of experience in growing sports nutrition businesses. And the reason I did that was, you know, I wanted the help and support and the network to take our brand to, to the next level. And it's the same as we mentioned earlier on about that delegating out and working with, you know, your team and, and, and building your team of staff. Um, you know, we, we, went and, and met with a number of the of the private equity companies you know the investors to look at it and say together how can we build this into you know a global strength brand so yeah that's that's the that's the uh the challenge for the next five years um well there's an old saying isn't there it's, it's better to own half a watermelon than a whole grape yes and and, and also you know it's, it's the perfect point because there's only so far I could personally take this and I have to be honest with myself in that. Um, you know, we brought in a, in um, Dan Clayton as a non-exec director. Now to give you an idea, Dan was the guy that launched like techno gym in Asia. He was vice president of Johnson health tech and worked with a lot of the chains to set up their models um, for Diaco. You know, I think he was a commercial president there or something along those lines, but he tied in Diaco. So that's Spirit Soul, all the sort of cardio brands coming out of Taiwan and um, with Philips to look at some of the tech going back into fitness. Um, you know, so we've brought Dan on and, and just having the guy, a guy like that at the end of a phone to give you some advice. You know, we brought another non-exec in from the marketing side and 
<laughs> the, amount, the amount I'm learning, honestly, it's 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 huge. So if we can if we can apply that to the brand and you know continue to improve the kit and the, and the products we offer, I think we should be should be some good longevity and you know a good growth into the market. Awesome. So anything else? Anything you want to cover, Dan? Oh, I think that's it. I think it's been a great insight into the company, and I think it sounds like very exciting stuff for the future. Yeah. So, um, if the guys want to find you on um, social media, either Primal or the website, etc., um, where where's the best place they can go, Steve? Yeah. So for new products and some of the installs we do and everything like that, Primal Strength Official on Instagram that's where we kind of live you know 60 odd thousand followers loads of engagement there um our website's primalstrength.com um i have a private social media but um, <laughs> you don't need to say that if you don't want to <laughs> yeah i know you get bombarded to... with enough messages as it is got, from the group <laughs> i get a lot of messages from the group <laughs> uh, look it's a great group I, I i love being involved in it there's a ton of great people in there uh, there's a ton of great suppliers in there. Um, it, it's probably the only group that, you know, you, you, there's not a, a ton of disagreements. Um, of course, people have got brands they like more than others. And, you know, um, it, it's, it's always an interesting conversation, but generally it's a very strong group and everybody seems to be supporting each other. Um, we just, you know, from my point, I just hope it continues to grow now that, the world has opened back to, has opened back up but yeah if somebody wants to, to reach primal they're the they're the channels to, to go through um to be honest i dip in and out of our socials most days so if there's a question that one of my team can't answer i'll, I'll genuinely answer it no worries well time, uh, thank you for all your time today steve i know you're a busy guy so yeah thanks for jumping on and talking to us today and i'm sure we will probably speak to you in the group um if not and we shall be back next week i believe uh if dan's around um but i think we're just going to be i'm not sure if we've got a guest next week i think we're just going to be talking rubbish like we always do um but yes thanks for all your time steve it's been great to have you on and uh yeah i'll speak to you again soon thanks guys take it easy no worries, dude. Thank you. bye for now bye. cool yeah. see you there buddy i'll go i think i was around